Speak to us. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me. It's, um, it's a, a real privilege to be here, actually, and to be given a microphone and to be trusted. Thank you. Um, but it is a big privilege. It's also um, really nerve-wracking. I'm just going to say that straight away. It's not... Um, something I love doing. It's not um, particularly comfortable to be standing up here speaking. Um, I'd much prefer to be hiding somewhere, probably with the kids, who you've probably met because I think someone um, had a, I think a Roman soldier lobbed at them over there earlier on. So um, um, I'll just introduce myself. I'm Joy. Um, I'm married to Tom, who's um, here too. Uh, we've got three children. Connie is 11. She's at sleepover. So um, she's going to be a barrel of laughs later on this afternoon. Um, she texted me this morning and said she hasn't slept all night. So I don't fancy my chances tomorrow morning when she has to get up for school. And then we've got James, who is nine. And then Isaac, who um, has just turned two. We are a fostering family. Um, we're an adoptive family. Um, and I run Home for Good here in Worcestershire. Um, I think that's probably enough about me. I want to talk about three things this morning. Um, it's great that there's a, a clock, great big clock up there. Uh, so the first thing I want to say is that all Christians are adopted. Um, the second thing I want to share is a little bit about why we as a family decided to adopt. And finally, I want to look at what happens to us when we engage with vulnerability? Uh, what that looks like practically um, as individuals and as the church. So, we are all adopted. Um, let's just look straight at Romans 8 and verse 15. Um, Paul talks about the purpose of adoption, but also the power of adoption. And so I'll just read um, from verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So, in other words, not only does adoption help us understand the problems of this world, but it also helps us to handle them. So, while there is cancer and childlessness, while there are mental health problems and injustice, poverty and death, there is also hope. So while there is great frustration, there's also great expectation. But then we read later on in Romans um, from 23, verse 23, it says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And there lies the paradox. In verse 15, it appears 
our adoption has already happened. And then in verse 23, it seems that we're still waiting for our adoption at the end of time. It's that now and not yet that um, uh, vicar types talk about when I'm listening, I remember. Um, So um, what I'll try and do is when I'm talking is, is kind of keep jumping between the theology and some of our story. Um, My first picture is one of the family in court when we adopted Isaac. So when we adopted him, he was 15 months old. Um, And um, we've had him since he was a day old. He came home from the hospital um, and, and lived with us in our family from a day old. But at 15 months, he was adopted. Um, my big two, I often talk about the big two and the little one, um, just to, that's my way of differentiating without um, talking about my children and not my children. So I often say the big two and the little one. But the big two were really keen that this date in court um, would come uh, before we broke up for the summer holiday because they were desperate to get a day off school. Uh, <laughs> luckily, it did come, it was July. Um, so Although he'd been with us since a day old and part of our family, when we got that adoption order, um, when that was granted, it meant that he had our surname, that all the legal stuff was complete, we could open bank accounts, apply for passports, and if, um, if we you know, left the court and Tom and I got knocked over for a bus um, that day, um, he would be eligible to inherit just like Connie and James. But we don't say to him at 15 months when we leave the court, right, we've adopted you, we've done all the hard work, Um, you're on your own. Um, You know, that that would be bad. Um, He was only only, um, 15 months at that stage. It's an ongoing relationship. The point of adoption is not just about that change of status and inheritance, it's the relationship. It's a committed, intimate relationship that's still being worked out today. And I think that's how we can reconcile our relationship with God, that we have been adopted, but we are still longing for the fulfillment of it. And there's so much more to discover and learn in that relationship. It's the now and the not yet. Um, I love watching Isaac grow and seeing his little character develop. Um, And now that he's adopted and he has our identity as a Pollock, and he has an inheritance, it doesn't mean that the parenting is complete. There's still so much more that we need to help him to discover um, about who he is and who he's intended to be. Um, Just like God is still parenting us to help us become um, more of who we are intended to be. Um, I once listened to Jane Williams, Rowan Williams' wife, saying of our adoption, it's like coming back to the beginning and seeing it for the first time. It took me a while to kind of get my head around that. Um, as Christians, we are already sons and daughters of God, but the full manifestation of all that that means will not come until the end. We are being adopted back into our true family, where we can find our true selves. And when children are adopted into uh, new families, they'll often have to relearn some behaviours. The nature of of adoption, um, they they find themselves being removed um, from birth families and in the care system. So it's likely if they're up for adoption, it's because they they might need to relearn 
some habits and behaviors. But that's not to restrict them, but it's to free them, to enable them to flourish so that they can learn that they are accepted, that they are loved, that they are secure, that they are in a safe place where they can discover who they are and discover God's goodness. And that's the same for us. Um, We need to relearn who we are in God so that we can um, be fully free and um, able to flourish. So I think adoptive families can teach the church a lot about its true nature. In uh, 1 John 3, we're reminded of who we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children of God. And I'm jumping about a bit. Then Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians, says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. When uh, we were beginning the process to adopt Isaac, um, it's quite quite a lengthy process. You're interrogated, I like to say, because it is quite invasive when they're asking you and and assessing you on your reasons for adoption. And um, it was inevitably going to come up. The social worker asked us about our fertility. Um, I think she even asked whether I was using any contraceptives. So... um, And the reason she was asking these questions was she couldn't understand why we would want to adopt when she said, but you can have your own. Um, I really struggle with that term because as a fostering family, any children that come into our home, any children that need a family, whether it's an emergency for a weekend or whether it's for 18 months, um, they are my children and I love them all the same and I will defend them fiercely. Um, my husband even bought me a mug that said fierce and feisty on it. And um, I think he's often a little bit scared as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, so the social worker just couldn't quite get her head round why we would want to adopt when we can have our own. But if we see that all children are precious in God's sight, then I don't see any difference. Um, and with with children, and I know I'm, I'm standing here with the privilege of someone that's had birth children, um, I know having had the opportunity to love children um, that have come into our home differently from that, that I love them all the same. Because we ask God to um, uh, extend our hearts, to extend our capacity to love, to extend the tent pegs of our hearts, if you like. So if we can grasp the greatness of what God has done for us in adopting us by grace, um, when he already had a perfect son in Jesus Christ, I think we would elevate adoption. So we need to move away from the view that adoption is the poor relation to having birth children and see it in all its glory. 
Why? Because adoption demonstrates the compassion of God as he welcomes lost and vulnerable children into his family. Because adoption manifests the faithfulness of God that has been and will be committed to us for eternity. Because adoption displays the love of God as he is willing to embrace us as his children forever. And because adoption highlights the grace of God as there is nothing we have done or will do to deserve it. So seeing adoption in all its glory, I wonder if it might have been easier for Paul when he was writing to the Ephesians, because in those times, in Greek and Roman times, adoption was common and it was seen as a high privilege. It was often connected with inheritance and families would choose somebody um, uh, to perhaps run their business or um, head up their family or even lead nations. So... um, Adoption granted the adopted son all the privileges of a natural son, including inheritance rights. And in the Roman Empire, even um, Emperor Nero and his four predecessors were all adopted. And in turn, it was adopted sons who would succeed them. So I think this Roman practice of perhaps adopting someone more suitable than your birth children could have been quite an insult to the birth family members. And so when I was kind of pondering this, I was thinking... What would that look like today? Would it be like if perhaps um, the Queen decided that um, Prince Charles wasn't really up to the job and that perhaps she would adopt and choose somebody else? And so my musings came up with this suggestion. Um, I'm, I'm quite a fan of Daniel Craig. I'm also quite a fan of the Bond movies and all the gadgets and the cars, so... Um, thanks for humoring me. Um, but um, God the Father already had a perfect son in Jesus Christ. Uh, he didn't need to choose somebody else um, to, to do the job. He already had a perfect son. But he grants us the privilege of being adopted as sons and daughters. And this video that's going to play, it's just short, um, explains our adoption far better than me. My dear child, I love you. You know I've loved you before we even met. I loved you so much I could not leave you waiting for a family, alone and vulnerable, feeling guilty and lost in a messed up world. It was because of love that I chose you. It wasn't easy, but no sacrifice was too great. No wait was too long. And I knew there would be challenges from the get-go. But that was never going to be a deal breaker because I wanted so much to be your father. Not just in name at a ceremony, 
but in the ordinary, day-to-day moments, every day. I hoped you would come to trust and feel secure as part of our family, to be able to learn, to feel close to those who love you. And there have been times when I know you've sensed that. My love for you is unconditional. Nothing you can do will ever stop me loving you. In my eyes, you will always be my longed-for, fought-for child. Your ever-loving Father. God. we adopt my second point Um, as I said at the beginning we're a fostering family we've been fostering for about five years and when we went into fostering although my husband might argue that it was um, slightly different I didn't say I think maybe I'm better warn you now we might adopt I didn't um, tell him that or or (laughs) looking at me or um, I didn't know it wasn't my plan that we would keep one of them we thought we were just fostering but the reality is that when a child comes into your home and they, um, you start loving them, you know, to love is a verb, it's a doing word. When you're um, hugging them, feeding them, um, you know, every two hours with prem babies, feeding them through the night, changing umpteen nappies, doing all the things that you need to do to meet the needs of a child, you, you love them. And so with every child that came into our care, we had that conversation what's the right thing for them. When the plan shifted from perhaps going back home to birth family um, or maybe there weren't appropriate um, extended family, if the plan then became adoption, we would say, what's right for this child? Should we adopt? Um, I won't go into all of them, but we have had um, the privilege of looking after 11 children in that time, some of them emergency just for a weekend, uh, some of them for over a year. And actually, the one we had for over a year, that was right at the beginning of our fostering time when James was four. So um, that child was part of his life, a a quarter of his life, and then he had to say goodbye. Um, It is wretched. Um, Often people say, oh, what's it like letting them go? It must be so hard. I couldn't do what you do. I couldn't give them back. Well, um, it is really hard. And... um, I think, if, if I don't know what people mean when they say that sometimes, because I think, does that, are you suggesting that I'm a robot and I don't have emotions and it's okay for me to give them back, but you couldn't do them because you'd love them so much? Um, we have to go all in for those children and love them unconditionally um, because that's what they need. And then we rely on our church family to hug us and love us and look after us and pick up the pieces when um, we're feeling wretched and when we're crying and missing them. There was one time um, our church uh, has steps up to the front door, but there's also a ramped entrance around the back. And um, normally I have to take the ramped entrance because I've got a pram. 
And I'd been doing that for a long, long time with our little one. And then when she had moved to her forever family, and I found that I could just walk up the steps, it just broke me. And I just couldn't. I wanted to be able to walk around with my pram and go up the ramp. Um, So it does really hurt. But um, I think that's okay. We're called to stuff that's tough sometimes. And that's okay. But I do rely on my church family. And so I really pray that if there are people in your church family that will consider fostering or adoption, um, just uh, yeah, uphold them and look after them because it can be really tough sometimes. So why did we adopt Isaac? How come he was different to the other 11? Well, in terms of how we loved him, there was no difference. We loved him the same. But there was something about him, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Perhaps it was that he looked a little bit like me. Um, The other two actually don't look anything like me. Um, I think I just incubated them, and I don't know where they came from. Um, (laughs) But then this one does look like me. Um, Also, there were lots of uh, barriers to us considering adopting the other children, but there seemed to be very few barriers to adopting Isaac. There weren't any uh, sort of safety risks. We wouldn't have needed to move house. Um, uh, Yeah, there weren't the risks that that there might have been with the others. Um, And it just felt like it was the right family for him. I do just want to say as well at this point in terms of adoption that um, it's, I don't want you to think that adoption is the gold standard. It's not um, what every child needs. It's not the best. When people say, oh, he's so lucky to be adopted into your family. He's not. He'd have been lucky if he would be able to stay with his birth family. That's, that's the best place for children to be with their family of origin. Um, so I just I want to just say that, that it's, it's not a gold standard. Um, this is what I mean about the now and the not yet. We, our world isn't perfect. Um, and when Isaac came home from hospital, um, it wasn't dissimilar to some of the other children that we've brought home. Um, st- straight from hospital, maybe a day old. Um, I think one child we had was, was less than 24 hours old. Um, he had blood still in his hair. He hadn't had a bath yet. Um, It was really raw. And I think holding that little life and seeing the evidence of his birth reminded me um, so directly and so crudely of the immense pain and loss of his birth mama, um, that she would have grown this life and then gone home without um, a child with a body reminding her of what she's just gone through. And I, I hold that intention a lot and pray regularly for his birth parents because I just think it must be such a hard thing to have to do. And when you understand or, or, or try and understand the other, it heightens the privilege of what you're doing looking after that little life because you understand or, or try and understand how that other person might be feeling. That child is so, so valuable. Um, I also wondered with Isaac if he was slightly less resilient than the other children. It didn't feel right to move him on to another family. I just felt like he was was quite a jumpy, um, nervous baby. Um, He 
He didn't like it if you coughed. He would start to cry if you, if you coughed. Um, he was just quite nervous, and I, I really felt like I didn't want him to have to move on again. Also, his name, a beautiful name that his parents gave him, um, and we would always, um, we would say we keep a child's name um, that their parents give them, you know, honor that. And um, Tom and I, when we discussed this, we, I, Tom would say, we're the same age, my husband and I, but Tom would say, oh, no, we can't, we're too old. And I would say, no, we're not too old, I'm not too old. So, um, I've, but it made me think of Abraham and Sarah, and I thought, well, if they can have an Isaac, and they were far older than us, then we can have an Isaac. Um, and one day in a coffee shop, when he was probably only about eight weeks old, I was cradling him, um, having a, a much-needed shot of caffeine. And um, there was uh, two ladies on, a, on another table, and they kept looking over and cooing, you know, while I held this baby. And I was used to that, because he was a really beautiful baby with a shot of black hair. Um, and eventually, one of the ladies came over, and she said, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry that we've been staring at you and chatting, but um, I can't get over the likeness of your child and my um, son when he was a baby. And she just thrust her phone in my face and she said, do you want to see what your son will look like when he's eight? <laughs> and I, at that stage, we hadn't decided we would adopt Isaac. And I just, it was just bowled me over to think, oh, maybe I'll get a chance to see what this boy looks like when he's eight. I also talked to Tom when I was planning this talk, and I said, Tom, just hit me with your quick knee-jerk reaction. Tell me, why did we adopt Isaac? And he said, uh, because you told me to. <laughs> um, but um, another contribution from our family was from James. At the time, he'd have been seven, and he drew this picture. It's really faint, but it's um, it's a picture of... Isaac, when he was a tiny baby, again, before we'd, find, we'd agreed to go put ourselves forward for adoption. And um, it is really faint. But on his tummy, it's got trains and things with wheels, which is quite prophetic because yeah, that's what he's into. And the speech bubble says, God wants me to stay. And James just drew this picture and gave it to us. And we also sought counsel from um, friends who would challenge us and pray for us and ask us lots of sensible questions. Um, so there are lots of reasons why we, we chose to um, adopt him. But Tom also had a more sensible answer. He, he Just simply that Isaac needed us. And for those that, um, that know me, you'll, you'll, you might know that um, he was a very jumpy baby. And now, if you've seen him charging around, he, the transformation that has occurred is, is wonderful. So I've got a little video clip, and I think the tech didn't quite work. So if you are able to look at it with your head to one side, we've got a video clip from his second birthday, which we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. Mommy, make a tree! What did Mommy make for you? That's probably... I don't need to see too much more of me. Mommy, make a tree! 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 Momm
is clever, Mummy. Should we have some? Do you want to eat some? It is. Yeah, I've been eating it already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's joyful, isn't it? But, and, the, and it's not just gratuitous, I'm showing you that. I think it's just important to hold intention that for every joyful moment I have, um, every time he calls me mama, every time I see a milestone, um, it's that tension that that is matched only with someone that is left wanting, someone that is missing out on those things, um, and that deep sadness and loss felt by birth parents and birth family. And that is what we hold in tension. Um, and I think it's been really, it's been a learning curve for us with, with fostering and, and adoption that we, um, we, we, we show compassion to the other, to the family that is left wanting, and we pray regularly for them. And it's, I think that's so, so helpful. It's been really helpful for us. Um, and it's helpful as a reminder just to say that whilst birth families, birth parents can't always care for their children, it doesn't stop them caring about their children. Um, and I, I'm, personally, I just feel like not enough is, is done for birth families in, in social services. Anyway, the reason I wanted to share that as well um, is he's really an excellent candle blower outer. And um, the reason he's so good at blowing out candles is every week uh, we light a candle in our, our church building that has a pop-up cafe and we say a prayer for his birth parents and we name them and we pray for them and we give God thanks for them because they have created a beautiful boy that I'm so lucky that I get to love. I mean, we we light this candle and then he blows it out about 30 seconds later. But um, I think it's really important. And and maybe one day um, we may all share food together. We might sit around a table, um, his birth family and us and Isaac all together and have a meal. And who, who knows if we might be able to do that. But it's that now and that not yet. And I think to expand the tension to the wider context of our church family... I think if we're doing this thing called church well, then there will be um, you know, families that are living apart from their birth children, um, people that perhaps uh, grew up in care, those that longed to call someone mummy and daddy, um, those who've escaped domestic abuse, those who are recovering from addiction, those who have infertility stories. And it's tricky. I don't think it's easy and it gets messy, but to just name those tensions and recognizing the hurts of others is helpful. I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to try and wind it down now. There's, I want to show you um, a stocking <laughs> and talk about uh, a project that Home for Good is involved in. We, um, I'm always thinking about vulnerable people. We, we, that's sort of what Home for Good is doing, whether it's the vulnerable adults that have had children removed or the vulnerable children. Um, but I think it's really good to think about vulnerable and valuable in, the, in together, valuable and vulnerable. Um, and we see all the time in the Bible that where vulnerable people are being used 
um, they're being used um, for God's glory, and there's big they have big stories in the Bible. So one group of people that are vulnerable um, are care leavers, those that don't uh, get adopted for all sorts of reasons. And you'll know from your work with Good Soil that uh, a third of care leavers become homeless in the first two years of leaving care. 25% of homeless people are care experienced. Um, uh, yeah, the prison population is, is full of, of care experienced young people. Um, they, because they're vulnerable, they get involved in um, prostitution and trafficking, all sorts of things. Um, there are 400 young people in Worcestershire who are care leavers this Christmas. And when I was 18, I wasn't ready to leave home. Um, they age out of the care system at 18, um, and then they're on their own. And I think that's really tough for our most vulnerable young people. So we would love, as Home for Good, to give every one of those 400 pe young people a stocking this year that speaks value into their lives, because they may well be having Christmas on their own. Um, they can't always go back home to their uh, fostering family. They might not want to. They might not be able to go back to their birth family. And so often they just want the day to be over. So um, there's going to be six items in these stockings. Christmas socks. They can either be you know, slipper socks or just normal socks. They said um, sweets, um, particularly Haribo, was very important to them. Um, I suggested a bath bomb, and they kept me on very grounded and said, we don't have baths in our flats, we only have showers. So shower gel, um, a candle, because they're on their own in their first home, and if they want to burn a candle, they can. They can do what they like now. And chocolates. Um, I think I had to open this because I had an emergency and needed chocolate. So I um, have to be a bit careful, otherwise the coins are going to fly out everywhere. Um, and I can't remember, actually, what I asked Hope Church to provide. What was it? Oh, stress balls, which I think my children have taken, but I did have one. So they, they're, they're young. Um, they want something silly, um, either slime, putty, something to squeeze, um, a fidget toy. So I would love it if you could get involved in that. And if you have any more questions or uh, want to know more about fostering or adoption, um, we've got some children and youth leader training coming up, and we've got an information evening coming up as well. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Um, just so, so good, so helpful, so moving, so inspiring. Um, so thank you. Really, really helpful.